good to worship with you, church. We are in the home stretch of life on mission, and we have been on this journey of figuring out what does it mean to to partner with Jesus as He's called us from from death to life, from darkness to light. And uh, when He saves us, He doesn't just save us; He saves us for a purpose, and uh, He calls us uh, to be a a person on mission. And that starts from the very beginning. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you into a fisher of men. And so a disciple is someone who just isn't saved. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Come, follow me. I will make you into, I will change you into a fisher of men, a person committed to the mission of Jesus. And so we believe that here at Real Life Ministries. Uh, So what does that actually look like? What does it look like to be a disciple who follows Jesus? Say that after me. Follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. And we've got this diagram we've been coming back to every single week about every relational sphere that we have in our lives. First, it starts with a relationship with Jesus, abiding with him. And then it it means moving into relationship with other believers. It means being in the church. It means being connected in a real relationship. It means being equipped for the mission. Um, This this gathering that we have on Sunday morning, it's it's yes, worship and praise uh, to the one true king of Jesus. But this is also a time of equipping. This is a time for us to be challenged. It's a time for us to learn what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. Um, and we learn how to do that by getting into a real relationship. Because in real relationship, it gets, it gets hard. It gets messy. But in that is when we actually grow. Not any different than in your marriage, which is another relational sphere is that Jesus goes with us in. Into our marriage, into our homes, into our kids' lives, and being a disciple who, who disciples our kids and walks beside them. And Joe moved us last week into the community sphere and talked about work. Did a great job talking about that work is not something that's just separate from our relationship with Jesus, but in our, in our work environments, we are actually called that Jesus is with us. And so what does it look like to actually bring good God's kingdom with us wherever we go, including our work. Whether we own a business, whether we're an upper management, whether we are a laborer, wherever we're at, doesn't really matter. We're called to represent Jesus and to bring about goodness in every single environment. This week we're talking about, about community and, and talking about the community in which we live in. Um, here's what I want you to know about what's going on in our community, meaning when I say community, I'm talking about Meridian, where we're located here. Some of you live in Boise. Some of you live in Nampa, Cuna, uh, Homedale. We got a family here from Homedale this morning. Wherever you're at, uh, what does it look like to bring the goodness of Jesus and be on mission with Jesus in our communities? I got to spend time with the mayors. You guys remember we went and blessed Meridian Elementary, did a huge project with them, uh, 400 man hours, thousands of dollars we invested in that community because we're the church and that's what we're called to do. And after that project happened, I sat down with the mayor and um, I told you about how he was just blown away and actually went and shared with other churches across Meridian about this project and the opportunity that churches have to actually be a blessing in their community. But I also want you to know that I asked him after he talked about that and and the amazing um, thankfulness that he displayed to our church and saying thank you, I asked him, I said, what else can we do, mayor? He kind of was taken aback a little bit. He goes, well, I think you're doing a lot already. I said, yeah, but there's always going to be more. And so what else can we do? 
And I was actually really surprised about his answer. He said, you know, crime is at an all-time low in Meridian in regards to, like, robberies and safety. Um, he goes, we've got parks. He's like, the thing that's actually becoming a problem in Meridian has to do with disputes between people. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, honestly, neighbors just loving neighbors. He goes, Meridian's changing. He goes, that's just the reality. Treasure Valley's changing. He goes, but the anger and the hatred that's taking place between people over little things, he goes, it's a little bit troubling because we're hearing phone calls of disputes on the rise. That person doesn't look like me. That person doesn't talk like me. And they're the enemy. And he goes, honestly, if you could just tell your people anything, would you be willing to talk to them about loving people despite the differences? And I said, well, that's, that's everything the church is supposed to be about, talking about. And he goes, and unfortunately, he goes, as I visit different faith communities, that's not the message that's being communicated from churches. And so for us this morning, we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like to be on mission with Jesus in our communities? And do we really have crystal clarity about what that looks like? Government leaders talk about the reality that people who have close bonds with their neighbors, they, they've actually done studies of this, you actually live longer. There's actually a 60% lower crime when people know the names of the people in their community. When natural disasters strike, when things go bad, who shows up first? Often it's the people we live in proximity with. But bigger than that, we have to remember that as a church, relationships always trump programs. And for us as a church, we have to be a people that have to decide, are we going to take the words of Jesus seriously? Are we going to be a church that mobilizes in our community, not just as a church body, but as individuals? Will we be a people that mobilize in our community? And I want to tell you that when you choose to live that way, something pretty special happens. And something that we actually don't see in the gospel a lot, Jesus actually does something that is pretty profound that we should take notice in. And it's in Luke chapter 10, and we've actually read this story briefly when we talked about being equipped for mission, but I want to come back to it and show you Jesus' response. It's Luke chapter 10, and in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 together to go out and preach the good news of the kingdom and to bless people and to be in a relationship with people. And they come back, and there's a lot of amazing things that happen, and they debrief those things. And Jesus is equipping them and getting them ready for him to leave so they would understand what it means to go make disciples. But in Luke chapter 10, there's another story of sending out two by two, but it's not just 12 disciples. How many is it now? 72. Why is it 72? My gut tells me it's the people that just got blessed and were loved on and heard the good news. They said, I want to partner with Jesus too. The mission is moving. It's multiplying. And so they send out, Jesus sends out the 72, and it says this in verse 17, that the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. 
However, we don't rejoice. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, some churches take this literally. So we're gonna get some snakes and scorpions up here and have you guys do it, right? No. You guys are like, I'm out. I'm out, right? But Jesus says that I saw Satan fall. Why? Could Jesus have done it by himself? Absolutely. But what is he doing? He's equipping an army. An army to go and mobilize into the community. And then I want you to look at verse 21. This is the point. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to, to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except for the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Do you notice what Jesus does? Full of joy through the Spirit, he moves into worship with what his disciples are doing as they're mobilized in the community. He worships and thanks the Father, overwhelmed with joy, it says. And this is what I'm just gonna say. If it was true then that Jesus was full of joy as he watched his disciples mobilize in the community and love and bless and preach the good news and be the good news and show the good news and share the good news, if he's full of joy in the first century when he saw his disciples do that, wouldn't it be pretty clear that he's probably full of the same joy from heaven when he sees his army, his church, his disciples do the same thing today. Would you agree with me? When you choose to be a disciple on mission in your community, Jesus worships the Father, praises the Father, and is overwhelmed with joy. Nothing brings Jesus more joy than when you're living a life on mission with him. Nothing brings Jesus more joy. I want to tell you a story. Uh, I received a message late last night from a gal in our church that t talked about this life on mission sermon series, how it's just been impactful and, and convicting and challenging. And she said, through the whole thing, it's been challenging. And then this last week, talking about work. <laughs> She said, I, I, I was convicted and challenged. I've got to do something. I've got to bring Jesus. I've got to attempt to bring Jesus to where I work. And where Sherry works is she works at a school, helps disabled children uh, that are learning, learning um, disabilities. And she said, I just felt like these Operation Christmas Child boxes was just an opportunity for me to help kids understand joy, help kids understand generosity, help kids understand kindness and goodness. And, to, and hopefully just maybe there'd be an opportunity to maybe talk about Jesus. And so she went to her boss and she went to her principal and just said, this is what I wanna do. I wanna fill these boxes full of toys and invite these kids to actually participate and fill the boxes and we can send them off together. And they reluctantly said yes, said you've gotta make sure you don't talk about Jesus too much or you know, it's like gray, right? She's like, if you're just willing to let them participate, I'll make sure that I do my best and so she sent me this message and these are the boxes that these kids filled up and they put their names and their pictures and said this is who we are and they put a an envelope in there and said please write us back whoever gets this we'd love to hear you know who gets this and 
Now he filled not only one box, but they filled two boxes. And she said, these kids were so excited. She's like, I'm just blessed that I get to do this. And she is hoping that this is just a seed for not only these kids, wherever these boxes go, but, but she's bringing goodness into her classroom. She's doing everything she can to bring Jesus into her work. She's living a life on mission into her community. And I can't help but believe that with Sherry, she's doing her best and that Jesus is looking down and saying, yes, that's my girl. That's my daughter. And Jesus is full of joy this morning as he's watching Sherry grow. This is why we celebrate as a church, you guys. Because when we celebrate as a church, when we're reminded of what Jesus is doing in our hearts and, and challenging us to take next steps and next steps take place, it's a reminder to us that there's so much that we need to be grateful for and be reminded that Jesus is doing so much. And if Jesus is worshiping, we should be worshiping. If Jesus is celebrating, we need to be celebrating. In a world that oftentimes it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot to celebrate. But Jesus is still alive and he's at work. Look at verse 23. It says that he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Why did they not hear it? Why did they not see it? Maybe it's because it wasn't the proper time. But maybe it was that they weren't able to actually see what Jesus was doing. Maybe they chose not to see what Jesus is doing. Maybe they chose to see other things and to focus on other things. I know for us as Christians, it's oftentimes we can look at all the wrong things, all the different things, and miss what Jesus is actually doing right in front of us. We can see people get angry. We can see people miss it. We can see people not see or hear what Jesus is saying, but we can't spend our time getting upset, graveling. We can't get upset that they can't see it, but instead we need to be a people that are focused on loving and never missing what Jesus has for us. How do we do that? How do we make sure that when life gets difficult, we never miss what Jesus has for us? It comes back to the story you guys heard many, many times. Many, many times. Right out of this story, we go into verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. We talked about that a couple weeks. What is that? That's Deuteronomy what? Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well then who is my neighbor? Just side note, don't ever test Jesus. It never goes well, right? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Everybody say, passed by. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. Everybody say, pass by. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out of two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have, for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I mean, the point of the story is pretty clear. The man who chose to love was the one who loved his neighbor. Well, what's going on contextually? Here's what's fascinating about this story, if you don't know, if you're new to the Bible. Priests and Levites, who are they? Priests come from the Levitical family. The Levitical family, a tribe of, of Israel that's actually in charge of, of uh, the sacrifices that take place in the temple. It is an extreme honor to be a Levite. It is an extreme honor to be a priest. They were tasked with the most sacred honor of performing these sacrifices in the temple. They were the ones that represented Israel to God in the midst of sin and sacrifice. They had a holy, holy job to do. And if anybody knew what it was really all about, it should have been the Levites and the priests. And at the same time, we've got the Samaritans, who in the first century were, were people that the Jews despised. They disgusted them because the Samaritans were half Jewish, half Samaria, half, half committed, choosing to worship other gods. There was a rivalry between Samaria and Israel in the first century. They, dis they were despised by one another. Jesus even is challenged because as, as the disciples are walking with Jesus, they're about ready to go through Samaria and the disciples want to go around Samaria because no Jew would ever walk through Samaria. But Jesus goes into Samaria because he wants to love and redeem all people. And what's the famous story that we know that takes place in Samaria? The story of the Samaritan woman at the well? This is the context of the story. And it wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Levite. Who was it that loved the man, fell in the hands of robbers? Who was it? The, the Samaritan. And Jesus is making a statement about what his heart is all about. It's about loving people. It's about loving people, even your enemy. And even the people that you think that aren't like you, the people that don't dress like you, talk like you, the people that don't vote like you, you're called to love them. You're called to show them the kingdom of God. You're called to be a, light, a disciple who lives a life on mission. Why do we pass by the other side? Well, we know from this story, we've got at least judgment going on. And we don't ever struggle with that, Right? We've also got selfishness going on. I mean, I've got to actually change my plans, take care of this person who's actually my enemy. Judgment, selfishness. Maybe we don't struggle with judgment. Maybe we don't struggle with selfishness. I think for me, the thing that I have to always ask myself is, am I actually available for people? What keeps us from loving our neighbors, why do we pass by the other side? Because we're not actually available. I mean, I've said this a lot over the years. 
I've got a little bit of an old soul in me. I grew up watching Andy Griffith, you know, the front porch, saying hi to your neighbor. Been trying to do that as often as I can because it matters. But do we just drive up, open the garage, drive in, close the garage? Are we available? Yes, we've got dinner to cook. Yes, we've got places to go. Are we willing to be available? Or maybe it's not availability. Maybe it's just fear factor. I'm not talking about Joe Rogan in the show. I'm not talking about that. Although, man, that was a pretty good show. I, The media is really good at making you think that everybody is your enemy and they're out to get you and to think about the worst about people. Turn that off. Love your neighbor. Live a life on mission with Jesus. Jesus calling on you to be on mission with him at all times, but especially those that you live in proximity with, your neighbors. Your neighbors. And if the mayor of Meridian is seeing it and hearing it, it's time we start addressing it. And guess what? No one else is going to lead the way except for the church. We're called to lead the way in that. We're called to be the ones that live differently than the rest of the world. A light in the midst of darkness. Salt and light in the midst of a world that doesn't understand the peace that Jesus gives us. We're called to be a people who live intentionally with those in proximity in our lives, our home, our community, our neighbors. As this is going to require us to, to not believe what the culture says, not believe the lies of what the news say, but instead to just trust that this is the authority from which we live our lives under. The Word of God. So what would it look like if we as the church chose to take on the task of loving our neighbors? What if we decided to love those that were closest to us? What could Jesus do? I want you to pray about two things as we wrap up this morning. Would you be willing to just learn your neighbors' names? And number two, pray for them. Learn your neighbors' names, and would you pray for them? And I know you know some of those neighbors that are across the street that are a little rough. You know? Things get a little crazy at 4th of July. You know what I'm talking about? Like, is my house going to catch on fire because of them? Right? Would you be willing to learn their names? Would you be one to pray for them? Because here's the thing. Here's how it goes. And, and you're, you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, does it really work? Through Jesus, anything's possible. Because this is the progression. And I know, because I've seen it over and over and over again. Here's the progression. Instead of just waving, you roll down your window. And you go, hey man, or ma'am, or miss, or missus, you gotta make sure, right? 
can offend someone really quick. I found that out, all right? But that's okay. But then as you learn their name, it's hey man to hey Mike. And then it goes from hey Mike, how are you doing? From hey Mike, there's something in my garage. Can you help me for a quick second? Hey Mike, can I borrow your lawnmower? Mine won't start. Hey Mike, I saw that your son moved back. How's that going? And I want to tell you, opportunity after opportunity is going to come. And we're going to be available to love our neighbors. And eventually, eventually, Jesus and his church are going to come up. And because you've shown them the gospel, now you have an opportunity to share the gospel and invite them into Jesus' family. And all it is is loving your neighbor. So would you be willing to learn your neighbor's names? Would you be willing to pray for them? And if you want to really be committed to this and help remind yourself out in the lobby there's some neighborhood grids pieces of paper where you can go alright it's time to fill in these blanks and guess what maybe you already know their names great write them down start praying if you're willing to do those two things who knows what God will do who knows what Jesus will do? And we'll talk next week about how to take that next step. I want to invite you to, as we get ready for communion, to bow your head. And would you be willing to just pray about whatever Jesus is saying to you this morning? And specifically, would you pray for your neighbors? And you say, I don't know their names. That's okay. Jesus does. Start praying for them. Start lifting them up. Let's get ready to have a meal together with Jesus.